Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of What Do You Call It? podcast. I'm your host GB and my next guest, one, two, three, is a former original Extreme Championship Wrestling referee. Please give up for Jim Alana. How you doing today, sir? You alright? Good, I'm great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. It's the weekend, sun is shining. And as, just before we recorded this, you were telling me it's a it's nice weather up at your ends as well. So I'm glad to hear. Yeah, it's great here in New Jersey today. Awesome, One of the mate. few days. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. So we're going to have a little chit chat basically about your career in wrestling. And you were there basically at a time where, you know, it's looked back at so many fans' memories. It's such a smile and, you know, you, you was involved in something special. But before we do get there, I want to know, have you been a wrestling fan all your life? Yeah, pretty much. Um, when, when I was a kid, I grew up. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, <laughs> I, grew, I grew up on the WWWF. So in the, um, in the um, in, outside of Philadelphia. So I grew up in that territory. And it was before cable TV, <laughs> so I didn't get the NWA or anybody else. Um, so that was the promotion I grew up on. So Bruno San Martino, uh, Bob Backlund were, were the champions. Um, and then, you know, eventually the, the Hogan era came in. And, you, mm. know, Vin, you know, we all know what happened. Vince Sr. bought out his dad and all that. But, yeah, that was the kind of stuff I grew up on as a kid. And, and I, I got away from it for quite a long time. Um, Philadelphia is a busy, was a busy sports area growing up mm. when I was a kid. Uh, the Phillies were, were fairly hot for baseball and the Sixers had just gotten, um, got some, uh, bigger name players. Uh, and for me, I was a hockey fan. I'm still a hockey fan and mm. the Flyers the, had won the Stanley cup and, and had quite a reputation in the NHL, even though they didn't have not won the Stanley Cup since at the time they had quite a reputation as, as being mean and nasty. <laughs> uh, like the league hated them. Um, but I grew up on, on Flyers hockey. So I, I got away from it. also got into music for a while. Um, you know, the, the era of classic rock, Peter Frampton, Black Sabbath, Van Halen, things like that. Um, so I got away from it for a while and then got into it later in life. Uh, thanks. <laughs> got into it later in life. Um, a guy that I worked with was a wrestling fan and, and we started watching NWA and all that kind of stuff because now we had cable in the area. Mm. So uh, that was really what, what hooked me was, was seeing the NWA and, and uh, you know, Ric Flair, the, the Horseman, um, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, the Fantastics, all that kind of stuff was, was what hooked me and, and got me into thinking, well, I'd like to give it a try getting into it somehow. Okay. So basically, I will. I feel like I have to let you continue. So when you say you give it a try, um, did you always want to be a referee or was there any other roles that you wanted to try first? Was that in terms of being an actual wrestler, uh, a manager, yeah, just various roles, really? Yeah, at the time, I, I'm, I'm not a large person. <laughs> so at the time, it was, you know, the Hulk Hogan's and the Sid Vicious's were the, were the, the main name wrestlers. I shouldn't say name wrestlers, but, you know, that, that was the... the um, the persona of a wrestler at the time. Yeah. So I, and I wasn't that athletic. So I thought ah, that can't be a wrestler. Let me try being a manager. Um, I have a gift of gab a little bit. So let me give it a shot. I, I tried a couple of it. I tried it a couple of times on uh, a couple of independent shows, mm -hmm. uh, came up with a persona. Um, 
And so I wanted to move on to the next level. And the next level really was locally the um, a company called TWA, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, which was owned by Joel Goodhart. And I knew Joel through his, through his fan club. And he was um, one of the local ring announcers also, mainly for the NWA when they came to town. Mm-hmm. Um, so I approached Joel and said, hey, you know, can you use another manager? And he's like, no, I have, I have Donnie Allen uh, managing. And, I, I, and he, we used, uh, he used woman at the time, Nancy um, Benoit um, and, and Luna Vichon. So he goes, I really don't need a manager, but I could really use another referee and talk to me about being a referee and what, you know, I'd have to go through the training and what it would cost for the training and promised me and, and kept his promise. I'll give him this. You don't hear this a lot from, from promoters, but he <laughs> kept his promise that in a year's time, I would make back what I put into my training. And I did. Mm. Um, so he said, you know, get, talk to talk to your wife get back to me in, in a couple of days and let me know what you think. So I hung up and I talked to my wife and I called him back 10 minutes later and said, I'm in. Mm. And so like the next Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever, whatever training days it was, um, I went to the school that he had and met with uh, Larry Winters, who was uh, the train wrestling trainer. Um, but he also helped out with, with, you know, everybody else. Mm. And he was the booker for, for tri-state. And later became the booker when ECW first started. And John Finnegan, uh, the other referee from ECW that I worked with through the entire run of ECW. And, and John trained me. And um, that's, oh, okay. that's you know, where I, where I started. I have to ask, what is, uh, how is it that you would train someone to be a referee? Um, I don't mean that in sort of... Um, sort of in a belittling way but I'm just very curious because I do think I will get into it about the art of being a good referee and the psychology of it but I just want to know what was it like and um sort of you know basically what was the routine of uh, training to be a referee well the first thing they really kind of teach is to stay out of the way <laughs> not, <laughs> not to get caught up in, in the way so so you kind of are tossed into the ring or at least I was tossed into the ring Mm. and let the guys do their thing without even counting yet. Just being able to keep out of the way and and get used to the guys moving in the ring, how they move, the way I should move um, to counter it. So I'm not in the way and everything. So that's really how, how you start. Then you worry about things like, like your count. Um, You have to have a, um, a consistent count, even though my count might be different than another referees, mm-hmm. you want the consistent same count through the entire match or, or even through the, an entire show because you're going to work more than one match, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really where you start with your training. And then, you know, once you, you get that down, then you move up to the level of the guys are are doing matches or at least putting pieces of a match together so Mm. you go along with them and and you work on on your art while they're working on theirs okay no that's fair and then you you know just what what, then you get to the point where you're you know they're doing a whole match and you're doing the whole match Mm. so you you and you get really a, a good um bond with with certain wrestlers um when you when you start your training and a lot of those guys when when they went to start doing shows, then you would go start doing shows too, mm. pretty much. I I trained for eight weeks before I did my first match. Oh, damn. Damn, I don't know. Yeah, you know, can take that long. Um, no, that's that's fair. I just want to know what for you. I think you might have brushed over just briefly when you talk about the training. But what makes a good referee? 
Um, I think someone who who shows um, the ability to make the crowd believe that you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry Funk, and, and it's credited to different other people, but I heard it from Terry Funk, is that if um, to make the people believe the, the match is, is real and every, you know, however you want to put it, um, you may, you have to make the people believe you're real. So you have to call the match and almost like you're in really in charge of the match. So mm-hmm. think of, you know, like a, an umpire in a baseball game or, or uh, a referee in a, in a hockey game, you know, they're, they're, they're talking to the players for various reasons, you know, uh, especially in a hockey game, hey, keep the puck moving, keep it going. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing, though it's kind of the way I looked at it as a, as a wrestling referee. Hey, get off the ropes, keep your hands open. Come on, get off the ropes, break, one, two, count. You know, and and just keep it like I'm trying to, you know, be the enforcer of, of the match, enforcer of the rules of the match. And, and I've always told guys that I've trained, um, call it like it's real. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, everyone will believe hopefully everyone will believe one thing i because you you want it just real quick because you want the the, you want the people who are coming in and paying their money Mm -hmm. um to come and see a wrestling match you want to give them that escape for uh for two hours or or however long a, a show is um, because especially nowadays there's so much crap going on out in the world that you want that you know bit of escape yeah. So you want, uh, you know, you really want them to believe, you know, you want them cheering, you know, and, and you know, throwing, throwing, you know, confetti in the air or, or whatever. When, when, you know, like the, 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 the hero tag team or the hero champion comes down the ring and I wouldn't mind at all. I'd, I'd be happy if I was running a show and the, the bad guy who everyone hates, I would mm-hmm. be happy if the place got flooded with trash. <laughs> because I know that guy's working. We're, we're doing his part and making everybody hate him. And you know what? Probably a good majority of those people are going to pay the same amount of money next month or whenever my, the next show is to see that guy get, you know, get it coming to him. Mm. And, and the same with the with the good guys. You know, as much as they cheer him, you want them to come back and, and see them, you know, win the championship or, or get, you know, to the next level. And, you know, you want like I said, you want everyone to believe and for that little period of time, you want them to get that escape mm. and you'll get them to come back. And it's all part of everyone working together is all part of getting the crowd to come back. I think what you said as well, it, it, you know, I think people do forget. And I forget, I forget myself sometimes how important a good referee is uh, to a match and the believability of it. Uh, I was just going to go back to something that you had said in a previous interview that, you said that a good referee is one that you don't necessarily notice and um, one that's maybe quiet. Correct. That makes sense. Um, and I, I actually, mm-hmm. I just want to bring up that point because I absolutely do agree with you. I'm not, we're not here to sort of talk about bad referees. That's not what this podcast is about, but I just wanted to basically bring you up on that point and say, I hundred percent agree with you as a fan, you know, and. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, uh, for, for, you know, someone that's not a, a real hardcore fan or, mm. you know, goes over every little little thing about a match you know you don't remember who the referee is for a match yeah Mm -hmm. there are matches that that are significant in wrestling history and you know who the referee is you know you know um you know 
you know, who the referee was for, for Hogan and Andre and, and things like that. But if you look at the rest of that WrestleMania three, do you know what referees did what matches? That means that they, they did their job because yeah. it, the spotlight's not about the referee. The spotlight's about the wrestlers. Yeah, because I, I do feel some modern referees are just sort of had that problem sort of separating themselves a bit. But um, I, I think that's what makes a good referee. I'm sort of a bit on the, as an old school fan, so I believe that mentality. So we've talked about basically what makes a good referee, your journey to becoming a referee. Uh, what was your name as a manager, by the way? I just wanted to know. Uh, what was the sort of, what was your manager gimmick just before you did become a referee? What was that? It, it was it, it was extravagant Jimmy Fortune. Uh, my wife made some uh, some satin some some sequin or, or made a satin jacket for me and had sequins on it, kind of you know like a Bobby Heenan type of jacket. Yeah. Um, and I, I had another jacket that I had tie dyed. Um, had another jacket that I put I don't know like dollar signs on or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I carried a briefcase. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I, had to I, I, I think I did maybe three shows uh, of doing that. And um, do you still have them, by the way? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't have. It, it's funny. I don't have a lot of memorabilia. Uh, mm. The only things I really still have, um, I've, I've got. If you remember, ECW put out the um, their second game, and they had a, a book a guidebook mm -hmm. the, the video game i forget what it was called but the video game had a guidebook and we got the um each we all had characters in it and it had a a biography and a, and a you know two-page spread so i have a, a flat sheet of that that i got framed and i still have my passes for, oh, the, really? for nice. the pay per views. um but that's it i i got rid of everything else i probably shouldn't have but mm. i was like eh, somebody will get a kick out of it if i get if they have it now i find that a lot a lot of wrestlers so once they're sort of past it in terms of it's in the back of them uh that they ever keep it or they don't so that's sort of fair and otherwise you know conrad thompson would be knocking on your doors <laughs> so i want to talk about ecw <laughs> uh how did you get there, essentially? So how did... Because you were pretty much there from the early days when it was East, um, Eastern Championship Wrestling, wasn't you? Well, like I said, I started with Tri-State Wrestling. And mm -hmm. uh, when Joel Goodhart um, closed it down, um, one of the financial backers was Todd Gordon. Mm. And we got a call after... after um, or after Tri-State shut down, everybody got a call from Todd or someone that was working with Todd that um, hang tight, we're going to try something new, we're, we're going to restart a new company, and you're, you're welcome to come and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of ECW. We, we were running uh, rec centers and high schools. Uh, there was a, a sports bar in Philadelphia we ran. Um, I think we did it once a month or maybe every other month. Um, but that was what we were doing at the time. Um, so that was that was how I got into ECW. Okay. And how did you find Paul Heyman as a boss uh, when he would eventually um, take over Todd? Um, you know, Paul was, was fine as a boss. Um, he was different than what I was used to um, mm -hmm. before Paul was the booker. And, and before he bought the company from Todd, uh, the booker was Eddie Gilbert. And Eddie Gilbert would come into TV with three weeks of TV written down on a piece of paper. 
um, Paul would come into the building, open up a book <laughs> with a blank piece of paper and look around and see who's there and write names down and start putting matches together. We, he would still be putting matches together as we we're going out for the first match. <laughs> uh, so it was a little, little different to get used to, but we, we, we did get used. We all got used to it. Um, but yeah, no, he was, he was fine to, to work for Paul and I were, were friends. We, I guess we're still friends. I haven't talked to him in years, but there's mm. no problem with Paul. Okay, cool. And in terms of ECW, one thing it's known for is its fans. And I'd like to know, cause I think ECW arena is probably the most famous sort of building associated with it, but I would like to know what other places have you enjoyed, um, working at? Uh, the Hammerstein Ballroom would that be one of them? Um, yeah, the Hammerstein was good, but also before we were doing the Hammerstein in New York, we there was um, the the Elks Club that we ran on mm. on a fairly regular basis. That was a pretty wild building too. Um, I loved the the shows we used to do down in Florida because I'd get to Florida <laughs> as opposed to like going to to Chicago or or Buffalo. Nothing against those cities, but we usually. <laughs> We usually ended up going to like Buffalo in January and, you, you know, two feet of snow as opposed to, you know, we go to Florida when it was nice. I also like going to New Orleans. There was, there was, there were good crowds in New Orleans. They, they appreciated the wrestling there a whole mm. lot. Everyone just associates that the fans just wanting blood and guts, but it's not necessarily the case. They will, like you just said, they will appreciate good wrestling as well. And yeah, I mean, mm. the, the difference between crowds in, in like New Orleans or, or Chicago, I, I, I hate to say this about the ECW Philadelphia fans, but they kind of got spoiled. Mm. They, they saw everything. And, and Tommy Dreamer said to me one time, it's gotten to the point where I've done everything except taking a bullet. Um, <laughs> and we didn't want to do that. But but they, they they also got very defensive of the company and, you know, would, would you know, defend, you know, what we did no matter what to mm. – um, you know, to the end, they would fight for us for the end. Um, maybe that was a bit of a detriment at times because it, it, I really kind of did get down to the point where they've seen everything. What do we do now? Okay. And I'd like to know what have been some of the favorite matches that you did referee in ECW and that you were involved in. Um, I always go to the, the first, not that it's my favorite, but I, I think it, it has a lot of importance to the history of ECW. Um, the night they crossed the line, uh, the main event between uh, Shane Douglas, Sabu, and Terry Funk. Mm. Uh, I think that really put ECW on the map uh, internationally, at, not just nationally, but internationally at the time, um, because tape trading was so such a big thing. Mm. Um, we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't get things on YouTube and, and look them up in seconds. So everyone did tape trading, and I think that was probably one of the most traded tapes uh, at the time, just for that match, a uh, 60-minute um, time limit match with no winner. Mm. Uh, I also enjoyed any time working with, with Malenko and Guerrero, the, the great matches with those guys. Oh, superb, uh, superb athletes. I love them. Love those matches. Mm. Um, working with Cactus Shack was always fun. Uh, I always worked well with um, Justin Credible and Jerry Lynn. They had great matches together. Mm. Uh, when Justin Credible and, and Lance Storm were a tag team, loved working with them too. Um, it, it just, a lot of it isn't necessarily a favorite match. It's, 
it's the people you be comfortable you become comfortable with and yeah and if if i'm comfortable with them they should be comfortable with me mm. um so it makes the matches a lot easier to to work and and run its course that's cool, man. Had Justin Credible on here um, not too long ago, and he he speaks. You know, he, when he talks about East Derby, there's still a smile on his face. Yeah, and, um, it's it's good to hear from people involved in East Derby. So that's, I think that's why I was happy to have you on the show just to get to talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Justin yeah. Credible, I think, was one of the one of the the better um, person carrying the 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 flag of ECW as a champion. Yeah, I think he did a great job as that. What did you think? of WWE. Actually, no, before I do talk about WWE CW, I want to talk about the one-night stand <laughs> pay-per-views when they brought it back uh, that were produced by WWE. Uh, so you was involved in both the pay-per-views. Uh, yes. 2005 and 2006. I just want to know what's it like for you. Um, in a way, it was sort of a farewell. Uh, I mean, that's probably what it was sort of presented to you at, at the time. But what was it like seeing the boys back together? It was great. Um, the 2005 one was really presented to us as you know, a way to say goodbye to the fans. That, that's mm. why they, and they had it in New York. I, I wish they had had it in Philadelphia, but I understand why they, there wasn't, re, there's not really a building in Philadelphia for them to have it in, unless you want to use the, the big arena, the big Wells Fargo arena. And, and they're not going to, they weren't going to put out the money of a 20,000 seater, mm. or however many it is. Um, so yeah, I, I had no problem with where we were, but yeah, it was kind of presented to us as you know the way to say goodbye to the fans. It never happened, and we we didn't have we never did have a farewell to the fans, and we thought the fans deserved it, and I, I think the guys deserved it too. Mm. Um, so that that was how it presented to us. Went great. I had a great time there. That that first one, uh, the second one came around after we had been told um, they're going to restart ECW. Mm. and we want you know we want you to be part of it and <laughs> the, the story changed over the, the weeks as a but we did the show we did the pay-per-view mm -hmm. uh no problem with the pay-per-view had a great time I only got to do one match because they had more um wwe involvement mm. uh with angles between WWE guys and, and ECW guys were the was first that, one. Really and Boss Mahoney? Uh, the, the, the first, yeah, the Tajiri and Balls was, was the match that I had mm. in that one. Uh, I'm sorry, not Tajiri. Um, Masato Tanaka, I'm sorry. That's right. That was the match that I had. Mm. Um, and like I said, there was more involvement. I think Edge was really involved with it. Yeah. And you had guys outside of WWE. But I... They had to get guys from e from WWE to come into ECW to make it more attractive to fans who weren't used to ECW. So I, I had no problem with that. I understood where they were going with it. Um, off Monday night, Tuesday was TV. Did that in um, in Trenton, New Jersey, a half hour away from me. Um, we did. Um, I think what we did. Oh, we, uh, we did a battle royal that night. That, mm. that was all I was involved in. The next week was Albany, New York. Bit of bit of a drive for me. Um, and um, did a match, Sabu and Guido. Mm. I think it was Guido. It was either Sabu and Guido or, or Tony Mamluk. I forget which. Um, so I did that. And on the way home, I decided I wasn't going to go back. Um, the story 
started with we we want you to be part of this you were part of the you know we're getting the, we're getting the band back together is basically is how we were told um and between the pay-per-view and two days later the, the the or i'm sorry two weeks later the the second tv taping it went from we want you there to um we want you at the shows that you can get to mm-hmm. then it became we'll we'll let you know when we need you um and the week after, um, it was the th- no, it was the fourth week. I'm sorry. The third week was somewhere way out of the way, and I wasn't going to go to that. wasn't going to drive to that. And then the next week was a show at the ECW Arena and TV at the Wells Fargo Center, which is the big arena here in Philly. Mm. And I nobody called me about them. I've never been one to call anybody and beg for work. Uh, if I if I die today that's one thing i'm proud of that i've never begged anybody for work in the business um and so they did those shows and and i never got a call or anything i didn't go over snooping around or go to say hello or anything Mm. thinking that i could get some work um and that was it um i have a business outside of wrestling that i own and i was making the same amount of money if not more outside of wrestling without all the travel and all the bullshit that goes along with the business. So, and, and nobody ever offered me a deal. Mm. So I was like, okay, well, walk away. I, I mean, the, you're not offered insurance as, as a performer, uh, even a referee, and I needed insurance for my family. Mm. So I was like, that's okay. I just won't bother. And that was the end of it. No, I didn't say goodbye to anybody and nobody said goodbye to me. I say good on you for that, to be honest. And I'm not just brown-nosing you because uh, you're speaking to me right now. But, you know, I think that takes, like, a lot of bottle, like, you know, uh, balls. So, uh, what we say bottle down here. But, yeah, and I think, obviously, to do that, I mean, something you love, but at the same time, it's, you know, don't want to let them sort of take the piss out of you, really, and just say, look, you know, oh, look, he's desperate for a job. So, you know. Right, I, I and plus, plus I was still involved with wrestling, Um hmm. With other things, I was helping training at uh, at the Monster Factory at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were running a little promotion out of there called Old Time Wrestling. Um, so I was still keeping my hands into it, and you know, keeping keeping involved, with, so I wouldn't go absolutely crazy uh, from from you know completely cutting away from the business. Uh, so I was still involved. Not that I was making any money doing that, mm. but you know, it was it's still being a part of it. I was just about to ask, actually, because you were training at the Monster Factory uh, in New Jersey, training wrestlers. I just want to know what was that like uh, for you to, to be involved in? And also you helped train current United States champion, uh, Seamus. just want to know what was that like? <laughs> uh, the Seamus part, well, I, 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 I didn't do a lot of the training because I'm not really trained. Mm-hmm. So I would help the guys with the, the beginning, the, the smaller things, the locking up and their, their footwork and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I was doing more things uh, in the way of running the business, running, running the school, making sure the bills were getting paid and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and booking the, the shows that we were running. Um, with Seamus, he came to us and he was 18 or 19 at the time, something like that. And um, he, he wasn't, <laughs> um, he wasn't as focused <laughs> about the business as he as he is now. He, I think mm. he was more focused on the fact that he was, 
he was a kid traveling in another country uh, and having a good time. And, <laughs> and he was having a good time. You know, I, I think any kid was like, I mean, I was like that when I was 19 and went to California for six months. Yeah. So I understand where he was coming from. But I think the, the most important thing of his training for, from my end is that I told him to go home because his visa was about ready to run out. Oh, and right. I said, if you let this visa run out, you're going to be in so much trouble if you do come, if you do come try to come back. Um, <laughs> so, so that was most of the training that I did for, <laughs> for Shane's, but yeah, I mean, I helped him. <laughs> I, <laughs> I helped him. I, you know, a few years later, he had already been, been trained over in, in Ireland with, uh, with whip, I think, uh, trained help mm. with his training. And, um, he gave me a call because WWE was coming through and Dreamer was in the office at the time. So I made a call to Dreamer for him and uh, got him hooked up. And I think the next year uh, when they came through, he had already been hooked. He had already been seen one time. And of course, Finley was his contact now. So mm -hmm. uh, Finley uh, was the one that really brought him in. But yeah, I mean, I had a little bit to do with the training of, of Seamus, but very little. Oh, fair play, man. I'm glad you told that story on here. <laughs> uh, so, basically, to sort of kind of wrap this up, um, I want to know what have been some, because obviously ref bumps are a big thing, uh, part of the role. I've been, what have been some of the most painful experiences of being a referee? Um, the uh, 2000 um, Heat Wave pay-per-view from Los Angeles, uh, the main event was uh, just incredible against Tommy Dreamer in a stairway to hell match. Mm -hmm. And they decided to go out through the crowd. And I started following them. And I got on over the, partially over the guardrail. I had both legs over the guardrail, kind of sitting on it. Mm -hmm. And cameraman came up from behind me and hit me in the back of the head with the camera. And I went knees first to the concrete and blew out my, did a partial tear of my ACL. <sighs> Um, so that took me out for a while. Uh, fractured my wrist um, one time with the against the in a match with the Dudleys. Mm. Um, did the do si do back into the corner, and I went like this, and my hand went like that. Um, my fault. And um, let's see, I got a broken nose from Rob Van Dam. Oh, really? How'd um, that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it was a match between him and Balls Mahoney. Mm -hmm. And I was I was standing behind balls. Ball swung the chair, of course. Uh, Rob missed. Or he missed Rob. Rob came up spinning, and instead, and balls ducked. And instead, so balls ducks, and I I get the foot in the nose. Uh, Supposed that I was in too far away. I, I could have. I should have been in closer where my mm -hmm. head got hit. Not that that would be any better than I get kicked in the head. <laughs> Um, but he just clipped my nose just enough to send it in another direction. Um, but they, they were the worst of it. You pretty much have like you know, the best seat in the house as a referee, but it will also have a very important role. So I want to ask the last question. And uh, normally I ask, who's your favorite wrestler? What's your favorite match? But I think you pretty much answered your favorite memories uh, from ECW. So I just want to ask, um, besides yourself, who, who else, basically, who are your favorite referees uh, in the business? You can go past, you can go present, 
it's up to you. It's your answer. <laughs> um, I won't say any present, um, and not out of disrespect or anything, but I really don't watch the product that closely. Mm. So I don't really know the, the, the referees that well. Um, so um, no disrespect to them at all. Um, you know, for me, it's got to be uh, the, the first referee I think I ever saw was, was Dick Worley. Um, so he was the main referee in the WWF at the time. So I, I definitely him. Um, then when the NWA came around, Tommy Young, incredible. Tommy Young mm. is, I, I think, the best tag team uh, referee to ever be. He, he really, really knew the the positioning and the and and what to do and, and when to do it and you know where to be and everything do every little nuance about being a tag team referee so it, definitely him um work with john finnegan i gotta say john and i were great friends and we've known each other since day one of of me getting in the ring so that's from 1990 um in fact john and i are going to reunite for a show uh, I'm refing for the first time in like seven years and oh, yeah. we're reuniting for a show, uh, May the 1st, the uh, ECWA. If, if, I don't know if anybody in Europe knows what the, the company is, uh, but they've been around for about 50 years and they mm. do a, a tournament every year called the Super 8. Okay, so we're both working that this year, which will be fun. Uh, first time we've worked together in a while uh, as referees. Mm. Uh, so... But yeah, definitely, definitely Tommy Young and, and Dick Worley, um, a guy I worked with, I have great respect for. Uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Billy Caputo was a, a WWF and WWE referee. Uh, he, he was a, worked for the state of New York, mm. so he was a state assigned referee. And I worked with him a lot uh, on the independence after ECW, and, and he he knew what he was doing too. He was a great referee. Cool, man. Um, I, I like the answer as well because I think most people may have said I'll have this up. And I personally am just not the biggest fan of him. So I like to hear about different things and sort of, you know, different answers. It's good. Uh, ECW, if you sort of had to present to someone that's never watched an episode before, how would you present it to someone? Uh, what makes what made ECW special to you? Um, the biggest... The comparison i would use the the easiest one for for me would be to say ecw was the band nirvana mm. you know they they had their crowd they had their their fans they had their uh, their fan base um they went up like a rocket and crashed uh <laughs> in in that quick of a time mm. uh if you look at it as as big and as popular as ecw was and, you know, people still chant it at shows here and there, What you know, even at WWE shows. ECW wasn't around as long as, like, a Ring of Honor or a TNA or things like that. Yeah. Um, which goes, you know, with, is credit to all the guys um, that, you know, we were that popular that people still remember us. And where were you? Sorry, I know, like, I, I think I said last question about the referee one, but That's I'm enjoying okay. talking to you. Sorry. Uh, I, I just and it pops in my head. I was like, all right, I've got to ask enough question. Uh, where was you when you found out ECW was going out of business? Um, I was home, I think. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I was home. Like I said, I did some work behind the scenes for him. I did promoting. So I would go mm. out to, to the towns two, three weeks ahead of schedule, um, meet up with the street team, get them all the, the flyers and go to, you know, if I needed to go to a radio station or, or talk with the ticket people or whatever um, and, and 
then I would catch up with, with the guys, uh, the show on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was the week after the last show, uh, they said, don't go out. No, we don't need you to go to wherever it was. Um, and so I thought, mm, that's not good. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of, you know, cause I was there at the last show and, mm. and I really didn't feel it was, you know, the last show I, I had an inkling that it was, but I had all hope that, that it wasn't. Sounds like what Rhino said before. Uh, well, I want to thank you for coming on to what you call it podcast. Uh, it's much appreciated. Where can fans find you on social media? Uh, the only place you can find me on social media is on Twitter. Um, and it's at Jim Molyneux. And Molyneux is spelled M-O-L-I-N-E-A-U-X. I know there's a couple of different British spellings of, of the name. <laughs> That's like everything um, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but it's M-O-L-I-N-E-A-U-X. Brilliant. Um, and it's, like I said, I'm only on Twitter. I shall add that in the description, but thank you for coming on. And uh, for everyone that's listening, stay tuned. There will be more of what do you call it podcast.